Welcome back, friends. You are tuned in to the Bones Brigade audio show. I'm Larry, and with me, as always, is Matt. Matt, how are you, sir? I'm excellent. Awesome. Here we are at episode 32, and today we'll be talking about the video chaos, and the kids have requested and emailed and texted and DM'd and commented, when is Jim Fitzpatrick coming back on the show? Well, ladies and gentlemen, he will be here today in just a little while. We're super stoked to have Jim back on the show. He blew minds on our band this episode and yeah, what a wealth of information, Jim. And that's that's no joke. We had a lot of people like, yeah, yeah. That's I love the show, around. but yeah. like, I kind of want more Jim Fitzpatrick. Yeah, like, someone even it, but... wrote in and was like, "You should give the show to Jim Fitzpatrick." <laughs> you guys are hacks. You guys are good, but yeah, not, Jim is the real deal. Enough. So you right. guys just bow out and give the show. I to can't. Jim. I can't argue with that. Yeah, I mean, you know, if he yeah, wanted he it, he can have it. <laughs> No, that's uh, that's funny. Yeah. So we've got before Jim comes on and we dig into chaos, we've got some hot topics. We've been kind Very of jokingly uh, calling the intro to our show. None so of the ho- kids can stop talking about any of this. Yeah. It's that hot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we've got we've both got a kind of a list. Where do you want to start on this thing? Some I was thinking we could talk we could talk real quick about about boards about about skateboard decks. It's a topic we all love, right? Yeah. All right. Hit me. What you got? Well, you know, uh, I think there's a couple of timely reissues that are coming out, uh, kind of lining up the era that we've been kind of talking about the past few videos. So there's the Mike Frazier, I think they call it the Yellow Man graphic. Yeah. The superhero kind of guy. Superhero. I was never sure what that, to me, it always looked like a, I, I always, for some reason, thought it was like a boxer, like a, you know, like a, it's not though. The guy's not wearing boxing gloves, but it looks like almost like a, a guy who's like just won like a boxing match and he's like, Yeah, that's true. I always think I mean? of it as like a super like he's flying like Superman yeah. with his arms out kind of thing. I don't, I don't know what it is, wrong. but yeah, I guess I never stared at it that long. That's coming out. And then there's the Lance Conklin. They just dropped that they're reissuing that Lance Conklin face graphic, which was uh was that his first yeah. graphic his first on Paul? Yeah. yeah. Very cool one, cool shape. Yeah, they're dipping into the '90s. That's funny. It's it's really it's really interesting, man. Like to see them kind of getting into that era, kind of while we're getting into that era. It's yeah. serendipitous, right? It works yeah, out well, for sure. Um, and then the big news, though, is as of this recording, that series fourteen of the Bones Brigade reissues. Who, yes. who ever would have thought we'd be sitting here talking about the fourteenth iteration of these? of this reissue series, but here we are the black, I guess they're black light. Okay. Um, you know, uh, it's like, they're all like five uniform black light boards mm-hmm. or six. I mean, they sold out in like minutes, like globally, there was all this. I got a, I had a, a, an email and I didn't try to get any, but I had an email from one of the skate shops that I kind of buy stuff from. And it was like an apologetic email because like there was so much traffic on their website for these boards that their like server got overloaded and carts got you know people had stuff added to carts and then it was like gone by the time they went to check out i mean it's pretty crazy to think like there was that much demand for those yeah i you know i mean i'm not trying to i i just mean like they've done them now over and over and over again and i and i don't know these these ones that they're coming out with now are cool they're not to me i i wish they'd just put them out in the 
in classic colorways and not yeah, like me too. army yeah. uniform green and black light and all that. So yeah, that had to have been the I and you know, again, like I, I don't I don't remember those ever selling out. I mean, they always sell out eventually, but you know, the first few runs they did of those, there you could still get them, you know, for weeks after they launched and everything. There was never just like this feeding frenzy. And I wonder, you know, if it's just flippers, you know, who knows? I don't I could probably be, a lot yeah. of people who are just buying to to flip and, and all that, which kind of sucks, but Anyway, maybe, I thought that was pretty interesting, right? Yeah, maybe every year more and more people are kind of getting nostalgic for their old skate days and they pop their head in and they go, oh, this is coming out soon or whatever. I want to get on that. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Well, it's it's back to the uh, original, you know, sort of classic shapes on this one and the classic graphics. It's the Guerrero mm-hmm. Flaming Dagger and the you yeah. know, Bottlenose Hawk. I wish, and we've talked about this before, that they would go a little deeper into their catalog on some of these on some of these boards. I think it would be awesome to see a proper Lance Mountain crest and a proper yeah, everyone wants that you know, crest, man. Tony Hawk street model. Like the we've talked about that. I would love to have that one again. That black, you know, yeah. the all black one. Uh-huh. Anyway, whatever. And there's so many great mountain boards they've never touched, the Doughboy and all that stuff, you know? Yeah. Family. So the fam oh the family. Come on. Yeah. Just such a classic one. So anyhow, whatever. I thought that was kind of cool. And then um, another thing in the board category that was cool was Lance Mountain put out that uh, it was like a Tony Hawk capsule collection. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Those are, that was really cool. Like the Doughboy, like chicken skull type board. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Super awesome. Yeah, those so, sell out fast too when he puts those yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. And that I can kind of understand a little bit more. Um, yeah, because I would like to have all limited. those little zines that come with those yes. in those packages. Yeah, it's yeah. Like Lance, if you have any of those extra booklets, or yeah. zine, send them Hook my your way. Boys up. That's yeah. right. So that's all I had in the board in the board category. But there was a lot that kind of happened at, at one time. I thought it was all worth kind of maybe chatting about. For so. sure, I've got a, a couple podcasts I wanted to mention. First one, speaking of Tony Hawk, there's a Tony Hawk Pro Skater podcast. Um, the guys from the hard times website are doing this podcast. They just put out their second episode with Jamie Thomas. The first one of course is with Tony Hawk. Wow. That was a really cool interview. I thought it would just be solely focused on the video game, but it was kind of, you know, like a whole kind of career retrospective type interview, which was really cool, but they're going to go through kind of like how we're going through the bones brigade videos. They're going to go through Mm -hmm. all the video games and talk to all the people that were the characters and the designers and the bands and the soundtrack, like, every little detail that would be awesome yeah yeah so are they gonna do is it like are they doing one like game and they're kind of getting through all the stuff for that yeah i think they're gonna talk to to all the people from the first game so they did tony and then the this one that just came out with jamie thomas so okay cool cool yeah man that'll be really cool yeah there's a lot that's awesome man it's scary to think how old that video game is already yeah it really is crazy so I got to tell you, man, when the first Tony Hawk game came out, I, I remember I was living in this apartment with, it was the only time I ever had a roommate. And I was like stuck in my room all the time because he, you know, it was a weird situation. Like his girlfriend was always over and they were all, always in like the living room. Uh-huh. And I didn't want to be the dude who was like, yo, like just going and sit down <laughs> with them, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and I had, and it was right around the time that Tony Hawk, uh, it was either the first one or, or two came out. I can't remember which one it was. It was probably both of them. And I would just sit in my room and just play that. I'd listen to like Dag Nasty and just play like Tony Hawk's Pro Skater for hours. 
That's and awesome. I was, I had that, I, I was pretty good. I mean, I wasn't like crazy good, but mm-hmm. there was a few, there was a few levels where I could get all the stuff in one run, you yeah. know, like that first warehouse level. Like, I oh could get yeah, yeah, yeah. I could get everything. Uh-huh. Like in, in one all the tapes and the all the tapes, the... the skate and the special, whatever it all was back, you know. Yeah. But that's cool, man. I'll definitely have to check that out. Yeah, I remember the first one, my my friend had it and he was just like, dude, you got to come over and check this out. And I wasn't like a big gamer, you know? Yeah. And the control, I couldn't figure out how to do it. Like all the buttons and what you had to do. I was just like, I can't play. This is just beyond me. Really? Yeah. And then the second one came out and I was on tour, on a tour bus. And so you're kind of just trapped with nothing else to do. And I figured it out. So number Mm. two, I played a lot for like all summer long. Yeah, the thing that's great about that game was that in my like it had some uh, in my mind like the best controls of any game ever. It was it was so intuitive. I bet you I could sit down with a PlayStation controller right and now would, and it would just and come just back. it would it just it would be like muscle memory. Wow, like riding a bike. Yep, or or a skateboard. Yeah. And the other podcast I wanted to mention, uh, pro skater Clyde Singleton has a great podcast uh wcrp on skateboarding and he just put out a great two-part interview with steve size yes everyone go check that out you should already be tuned in the clyde's show definitely but, um steve size got a lot of great stuff to say so go check that one out and matt you had a, a comment on his most recent episode oh yeah and, and you know thanks to clyde he, he put out well i guess he's doing a new he's doing a series now mm-hmm. a series within a series kind of like a little bit like what we do with like the intelligence reports and stuff like that, but it's, he's going to be kind of like interviewing, he's interviewing po- other podcasters, which is pretty cool. And he did one on talking Schmidt and in that episode, which I listened to this morning, he gave us a little shout out. So that was pretty rad. Yeah. Did you bring it? You had a clip, right? You brought a clip Got it right here. Let's check it out. All right, here it is. That's official. You're not like some dude, like I'm gonna make a fucking podcast and you know, I'm a fucking, yeah. I, I, that's, it's official. You know what I'm saying? And like, even like the pal dudes, like at first I was like, the dudes do the pal thing. I was like, yo, man, what is this? And I was like, yo, these dudes are fucking official. Like they, they're, uh, they're finding shit. The dudes at pal are like, what the, f-? like, how did you find this? Dude. And that kind of shit, right. that kind of shit, man, is like what I think is dope about podcasts. When like, it's interesting, you listen to it and like you're saying, like, you're, you're not just kind of passing time. You're sitting in traffic. You're like, yo, this is fucking interesting. You know what I mean? Like you're not, it's yeah. not, it's not like a shitty rap song where you're like, dude, this is fucking interesting. Right. This is interesting shit. And you don't even have to know the guy. And, and for the podcaster to bring that out, man, it's, it's something else, man. You know what I mean? Like, do you feel like that when you get done with interviews? You're like, yo, that was a great conversation. Like, like <laughs> dude. Oh, that was cool. I haven't, I haven't had a chance to listen to that yet. So shout out to Clyde for that mention. And should we just Super say, awesome. should we just tell, tell the people? I guess so. Yeah, Clyde's gonna have us on for another one of his Push and Pete episodes. So I think we're doing that soon. So that'll be yeah. cool. Can't wait. Yeah, super, that'll be fun. super honored. Man, whoever would have thought. Never yeah. would have thought. Amazing. Thank you, Clyde. All right. And I want to do a couple more quick things. I got the new issue of uh closer skateboard mag in the mail. Uh super awesome as always. So this is the fourth issue, it comes out quarterly. A uh, couple of quick things. It's got a nice tribute to O, uh, written by uh, Mickey Vukovic, uh, future guest Mickey Vukovic. Yes. And uh, there was a cool kind of relating to our show, Jeremy Tubbs. He's like a skate video VHS collector, and he kind of like c- 
collaborates with skate brands and puts out limited edition VHS tapes. So I thought that was pretty cool. And lots of cool stuff in there. Uh, there's another wave of the Super 7 Reaction Bones Brigade figures coming out. Yeah, dude, those look good. Are yeah. those the ones we that they've been kind of circulating online? Circulating. Yeah, yeah, there's a Hawk, McGill, Cab, and Rodney Mullen. Is kind of yeah, good. yeah. So I don't know when those are coming, but there's photos online coming soon. And before we get to Jim, one more thing, Matt. Yo, you met Crew Jones. I need to know all about this. What happened? Where were you? What was this all about? Well, we're who is Crew? Tell the if, yeah. If anyone out there doesn't know who Crew Jones is. Well, so yeah, if you don't know who Crew Jones is, there's yeah, I'm sure you're familiar with the movie Rad. Most people that listen to this podcast probably are. It has nothing to do with skateboarding. It's like a it's like a BMX movie from the early 80s. It's and, the BMX uh, version of Thrashing. It's BMX Thrashing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh Bill Allen is the uh the lead lead and he plays this guy crew jones and such a great name the best dude yeah and I, and, I, and it was a movie that i watched religiously growing up because i was a, a big bmx kid as well as a big skateboarding kid and so uh yeah he they were doing a showing of uh of, of rad here in st louis and uh my daughter and i watched that movie all the time and so she was super stoked and we went and met him and he was super nice and uh Signed some stuff. I bought a number plate, number thirty-three number plate. Nice. Had him autograph it and everything. But yeah, it was it was rad. It was rad. It yeah, was. That's cool. Yeah, full circle. So yeah, super nice dude. Very humble. Did very... he do like a Q and A type thing, or is he just? Yeah, he did a Q and A. Yeah, he did a Q and A after the uh, after the movie. Uh-huh. And my daughter, there's a, a scene in there. My daughter's ten. There's a scene in the movie where they they go. It's called ass sliding, and they just go down this. Basically, it's like a water slide into like water and it's like crew jones and or bill allen and laurie laughlin mm-hmm. and uh my daughter was like she asked a question about how cold the water was and the ass sliding scene and she was so stoked that she just got to say ass in front of a <laughs> crowded theater full of people <laughs> that's amazing so it was it was a really fun night man super good super fun yeah that's cool well one more thing that i wanted to talk about okay we had a while ago we had an episode where Larry indicated that he had gone out and hung out with oh. our guest of this episode. That's Jim right. It's Patrick. He went down to where? Austin, Texas. Austin, Austin to hang out with Jim. And we had sort of uh we had sort of mentioned that we had like this really epic sort of kind of groundbreaking Dis- a discovery. Discovery of a photo. And and I kept I've been nagging Larry to to put it up and he's like, "Ah, we'll get to it." <laughs> so this this uh, couple this week I was looking through uh as I do I'm just in my basement looking through stacks of junk that I have and I have like this old Paul you know those free you know like, those free posters the with like product the, the catalog product catalog thing. on like on one side and you know the ripper on one side and then all the the collage of product on the back and on the back of this in it tucked away at the bottom I mean you you there's no way you'd ever really even you need a like a magnifying magnifying, but i noticed that this photo that we that larry found was on this collage (laughs) tucked down at the very bottom exactly as we had seen it yeah and like so let's elaborate a little more like let's just let the cat out of the bag we'll put the we'll put the the photo up but do larry why don't you dig okay so i was going through 
Jim has all this great stuff. So we're digging around. Uh, I shot a video that I've yet to edit. So um, I apologize that that has not happened yet. So we're just going through the boxes of photographs and, and catalogs and all this stuff. And I come across this black and white photocopy of a photograph of the LA boys. So everyone kind of knows that advertisement with the four LA boys was it and they there's yeah. like a, it was a wheel ad they had i can't remember mini rats or something it was mini rats yeah but there was someone there was a fifth person there and they're cropped out of the photo in the advertisement so mm-hmm. as you've seen and if you've photo, watched if you've watched la boys they they yeah they, they show that photo yeah. a bunch and mm-hmm. there's never this it's only the four guys yeah you know? So the uncropped photo has Eric Sanderson hanging out with the LA boys in this photo. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my God, this is amazing because we've only seen it with the four people. And then it's like, it's strange. Can, it's like, yeah. and, and he's, he definitely is a little off to, more the off side to the side, a little bit. Yeah. but it's Gabriel and Paulo and Guy and Rudy. Mm-hmm. And then just like a foot over Eric, Eric Sanderson. Sanderson. Yeah. <laughs> just standing there with him. So I was blown away. I thought this was just like this mind-blowing like discovery right the fifth dude in the photo yeah no one knew about i just thought it was i mean that's kind of like what our show is just these super nerdy details right right so we're just like we're gonna blow up the internet when we come (laughs) forth with this this information it it might still do that to some degree because i don't think it's widely been seen in that because if like i said i'd never noticed it Mm mm-hmm you know what I mean? And it's not like there's people sitting there scrutinizing the backs of these posters. Yeah. But there it is on the, on the, there poster. it is. So yeah. it's got the winged ripper on the one side. Cause I know yeah. there's a winged ripper. It's the red. Yeah. The red wing, winged ripper uh, one. And then and on you the flip back it over the... and then a small black and white photo. And there they are. The Just, five. It's them. like, where's Waldo on the back <laughs> though. I mean, you, you'd have to look for it, you know, cause you, you know, yeah. those, those collage shots, it's like everything in the lineup at all these, pictures and just stuff and art and things and mm-hmm. then there it is just with That's, eric in there so yeah so since bummer, 1989 you know? people yeah. i mean it's been kind of out there no it's yeah it's been hiding in plain sight let's just yeah. say that yeah and to some degree because like there's probably not that many of those still floating around out there and if they are they're probably like tucked away in storage units and anyway but yeah. that's the now ah, there it is kind yeah. of a bummer but kind of still still pretty cool so yeah. we'll, we'll post that picture up you guys can all take a look at it uh it's a pretty wild photo it'd be cool to get a little bit of the the, the backstory on that one yeah, yeah why was eric there why was he, i wonder why yeah. was he there yeah. yeah and it's obvious why he wasn't used in the greater scheme yeah. of that photo because the those guys were they like were packaging a, those guys together deal. yeah right um, but yeah, so he was there and uh, there it is. Eric Sanderson. Boom. Super, super interesting stuff. <laughs> That's it. All right. Well, we've been, uh, we've been gabbing, gabbering, dude. Yeah. This we've has been just, a gab, gab yeah. fest. Yeah. All right. Should we uh, get to Jim? I looks like he's ready. Let's bring Jim back, dude. I'm, I'm looking forward to picking his brain yet again. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to the show. Super friend of the show, Jim Fitzpatrick. All right, Jim, thank you so much for joining us once again. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yes. The, the people have been demanding that you come back. And we even had somebody tell us, you guys are hacks. Give the show to Jim. because he, oh, yeah. Just, yeah, he let him take yeah, that's over. Right. Yeah. Oh, that means I would get the big money. 
Yeah, that's sure. right. I think that's we, a great idea. We've made a whopping $34 so far on the show. <laughs> that's like a dollar an episode. That's over that's, $1 per episode. If you, that's yeah, right. That I think true. the marketing department needs to be contacted. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Real quick, before we jump into chaos, I know Matt, you wanted to ask Jim a question about a recent event in his life. The last time you were on here, oh, you were not a Hall of Famer, and here oh, you are. Right. Now you're now in the, the Skateboarding Hall of Fame. I just wanted that's to- That's right. That's right. And, and that, of course, is big bucks. I mean, the cash that goes along with that, it's incredible. I'm sure. Yeah. You know, the significance of that was that I, uh, you know, I, I left town the following morning to get back to Texas. And I packed up my, my trophy, if you will, my thing. I don't have it here. And uh, I put it in my suitcase. I wrapped it up in three or four skate t-shirts. And I felt like it was all in good shape. And I, it was a carry-on bag. And I go down to the airport. And I, you know, I go through security. And the people in security open up my bag. And the guy says, what the hell is this? And I said, hey, you know, and he goes, what, you're in the skateboarding hall of fame. And I say, yeah, as of one day ago. And he, he looks at me, you know, and I don't look like a skateboarder in, in his definition. And he says, okay, well, you're good to go. And I, I, I he gave me back my suitcase and, uh, you know, I, this is how stupid I am. I just envisioned that he had repacked the way I had packed it and all was good to go. And of course, you know, so I, man, and I get, you know, I get back to my house, I open up my bag, I'm in my office, and one of the wheels falls off oh, the, yeah. uh, the quote unquote, you know, hardware. So I think, oh, fuck, this is ridiculous. Oh, but so, you know, so Laura Caswell, you know, she, there was lots of conversation about what do you do about this? And Brian Logan sent me a message saying, oh yeah, that happens all the time. That happens to everybody's. It's like, no, it doesn't, but okay. So I ended up going, Laura told me that maybe a local trophy shop could, you know, hook it up. And I thought, you know, I could just get some Gorilla glue or whatever and stick the wheel back on. But I went into this uh, trophy shop, a local shop here in uh, Austin. And these guys, as it turns out, they both had skateboards in the 80s. One had a McGill and the other one had a Ripper. And they just, wow. they just went nuts. This guy... The guy who owned the place, they had just filled an order for like 832 girl soccer team players in two leagues that had just finished and that everybody gets a trophy now, right? And mm -hmm. this is the mainstay of their business is these little figurines kicking a ball. And this guy just goes, oh my God, this is so fucking rad. Wow, this is <laughs> He just... And the guy comes out from the back. What are you talking about? Oh, my God. So the two of them are standing there. And they refused payment. They had it fixed by the next day. That's and then amazing. one of the guys, the owner's wife came out. And she started into a long-worded narrative about how her uncle had developed his own skateboard company in 1981. You know, And, and so that was... Eventually, the guys who own the shop cut her off and told her to get in the back. But um, <laughs> so the it it is now in my office, up on top of my shelf, where my three year old grandson cannot knock it off. And uh, it's an honor. It was an honor to be recognized, and it was fun to be part of the ceremony and see people I hadn't seen for a while. Cab sat at my table 
and heckled me, you know, righteously. And uh, Chandler Kim, his new, the new person in his life, very sweet. Brian Ridgway was there. Mickey Vukovic was there. So it was great to see people. It was a fun night. And yeah, I'm so part great. of the Skateboarding Hall of Fame. That's it's, awesome. it's incredible, man. Well, congratulations. So That's, do they have like you. a little yeah. at the Hall of Fame in Simi Valley? Is there like something there that shows that you are? Is there a photo or is there like an engraved plaque that says you're in the hall of fame how does that how does that work or you just have a yeah that's at the funny house? i mean todd todd huber you know he's a fantastic force of nature and given enough time he can set up with movable walls and different things that he's constructed he can set up an actual hall of fame where there are photographs of individual members uh iconic sort of memorabilia that belongs to those people or not but on a day-to-day -day basis, it's an almost, it, it's, there's three walls. One wall is all glass that's decorated with banners that includes all the names of the people that, are, that have been recognized over the years. It's kind of like a timeline, a vertical timeline. And then, um, you know, there's a, a dis, one wall is pretty much devoted to clay and steel wheels. And then you get into the 80s, the 70s and the 80s. And there's also indoor skate elements. So you can, kids can skateboard and then there's a whole retail section. So the Hall of Fame on a day-to-day -day basis has to be created if in fact that's what people want to see. And then he can, he can pretty spontaneously explain and sort of demonstrate. But the, you know, it, as far as like a museum experience of walking down a hall and noticing from person to person the different inductees that doesn't really exist yet it's way different than his original facility which was called the skate lab yeah. and the skate lab was an indoor park Rogowski was not the la dodger left-handed pitcher that was helping finance that oh, and Scott there was actually a hallway behind the skate park and and the hallway had displays that were up on a daily basis and you can walk down yeah. the different halls to see the the members of the hall of fame yeah i had been to the skate lab version many times but i have yet to go yeah. to his new place well let's dig into chaos that's what we're here to talk about today and chaos is bones brigade video number 11 that we're up to 11, 11 of these things yeah a double digit. Yeah. And it was released on VHS in 1992, it has a running time of 42 minutes. And I also think very interesting to note, this is the first video when the company has now been rebranded as Powell Skateboards. The previous video, Hot Batch, whether Stacy was there or not, I'm not sure. But the box cover says Powell Peralta, the advertising for it says Powell Peralta. So here we are at Powell Skateboards. I just also want to list off some of the major credits for the video. Executive producer, George Powell. Producer and director is Jim Fitzpatrick. Who? Assistant director, Todd Hastings. Filmed by Steve Sherman, Jim Fitzpatrick, and a cast of Thousand. And it was edited by Jim Fitzpatrick. Man. So you got your name all over this thing. So take us back to 1992 transitioning from Powell Peralta into Powell Skateboards. And I'm guessing the title is not just talking about radical skateboarding. Maybe it's what's happening behind the scenes. Take it away, Jim. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, the opening sequence pretty much um, is, is, is a clear statement of my mental being at that point. Wow. What, what's interesting is that the, I don't think Skate 1, I think you're right, I think it was the Powell Corp, Mm-hmm. And I don't think Skate One was floating yet. It wasn't out of the water. It was still submerged. I mean, there was so much unknown. Uh, I mean, chaos is a really apt title to describe everything that was going on within um, certainly my life and 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 all of the decision making that needed to take place to be able to create a finished product. And at a certain point, I just said, okay, well, I'm here, here I go. This is what I'm going to do. And I, I can remember talking to Greg Stesick, and Stesick said, yeah, well, there's nobody else that you need to consider at this point. Everybody's gone. And which wasn't really true because Dennis Dragon was part of the experience with me. He was, um, he was, throwing in ideas when, when he was around and literally at the edit bay, if I, if I want to call it that. And he was part of the first night of post-production. And then I probably talked to Stesic. I mean, you know, Stesic, in, in those days, I think Stesic talked to probably 30 people a day on the telephone. It was his major communication tool. And I was one of the people that he talked to, and I kept him up to date on what was happening. And he just said, yeah, you got it going, keep going. You got to do this. You got, you're going, you got it. You're doing fine. You're doing great. Just keep going. You know, so it was, I had spent up to that point, I had spent what, five or six years working with Stacy on video productions. And then I had my own separate little career when I was much younger, working on 16 millimeter film and editing film and 35 millimeter and 16 millimeter film. So I knew what to do. What I needed was content and I needed clips or unedited raw footage coming from the skaters. And then I made decisions based upon what, and, and I think assist, did you say assistant editor, Todd Hastings? Assistant director. Assistant director. And that's very accurate because Todd, Todd would give me a videotape that was 90 seconds long and it had two tricks that Frankie had done. Or, or, or Chris Sin or somebody else. And it was like, yeah, this is rad. This is rad. This is rad that we want to put this in. And, and I started, like, there's a sequence. I don't know if it's the first skate sequence or not, but it, it Wade Spire was cooking potatoes. Yeah, yeah. And Wade lived in his car out in the parking lot outside Palo Peralta for uh, about a month. And every morning he was cooking potatoes. <laughs> Wade is such a rad guy and he's so self-sufficient he he's just self-sustained and and I show up in the early in the morning he goes hey Fitz how you doing I go I'm I'm doing great and I turn the camera on and I say so who are the potatoes for and he (laughs) you know he goes I think I'm cooking these for George yeah these are George's potatoes I mean it's all just so spontaneous but that sequence was much much longer i mean we got into there was a lot more humor in that and the potatoes and the type of potatoes and i just had to kept taking out the potatoes and put in more skate we got more footage of him skating and less potatoes more skate less potatoes more skate so that was a good example of how much fun it was 
to be able to build sequence by sequence. How had your role at the company evolved? Was this a point of you're just running the whole show at this point? Well, we still had Jim Knight as our, you know, still photographer in the art department. Um, we had John Keister was still there um, as an artist. I think maybe not. Maybe John had already. And then Jerry Mahoney came mm -hmm. in as an artist coinciding with this project. I was working on a graphic for Pat Brennan and the graphic was from Jim Fitzpatrick and Irish artist who I have been communicating with ever since 1971. And originally it was through personal letters and now we're solid Facebook friends. We communicate through social media. And Jim Fitzpatrick was, is famous still. And there's a postal stamp in Ireland of the Che Guevara poster, which is the classic poster, uh, lots of red, lots of black, yellow star on his beret. And uh, I think, weirdly, I think Che Guevara's son died today uh, oh, yeah. on this day. But so Jim, his artistic career has gone through these incredible uh, periods of complete readjustment. And he has several books on the, I think it's called Conquests. And if it's not called Conquests, it's something in Conquests. And these classic Irish designs, Celtic designs, and beautiful women and, and knights and horses. He's just a great illustrator. And Pat Brennan walked in one day while I was working on the video and said, so my dad gave me this book and it's by Jim Fitzpatrick and he wants to know if that's you. And I'm not saying, uh, no, it's not me. But there was a graphic in there that was, um, it was like snakes eating their own tails. Just this incredible serpentine layout uh, that was part of a bigger illustration. And I took it and blew it up and tweaked it on the uh, copy machine and it fit perfectly onto a deck. It was a perfect. So I started rendering the thing with watercolors and with Prismacolors and realized that I was way in over. I mean, the way to do it today, of course, would have been to scan the thing and throw a bunch of color on it with a computer. But there, there wasn't a computer program that I knew how to use. And I don't think there was anything that was available to use to do the detail work that I was doing, which was basically creating an overlap with shadows, uh, three-dimensional sort of tweak. And Pat, Pat really loved it. He thought it was a fantastic uh, direction to go. And I was, I was working at that desk in the art department, spending part of my day in the edit bay. And then uh, George, shortly after the video was completed, the writing was on the wall and, and George came down to the art department and said, Jim, I need to talk to you. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and, and this is a little anecdote that even I talked to Robert Kittle last week and, and he and I have been talking about a variety of different projects that he's working on. The night before George visited me at my workstation, Kittle had called me and said, so I just talked to Stacy." And I said, oh yeah, and he goes, yeah. So it was really hard to, it was really hard for me to, you know, to hear about you. And I said, oh really, <laughs> what's so hard to hear? Oh, he goes, oh, well that you're, that you're, that, that you got fired. And I said, oh, no. I, I got fired? And he went, oh, 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 I'm sorry. I'm, 
I'm really sorry. I, you, you don't know that you got. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> so, oh. It was. So you knew it was I coming. Said, Gee, Robert, that's kind of personal. Um, I, you know, so there was a little bit of laughter, but it was like, okay, the writing's on the wall. So when George approached my desk, I said, okay, well, let's go up to your office and talk. And so the the, the anecdote to all of that is that it took me three days to leave because I had my desk. So I had two workstations. I had, well, I had three. I had the video workstation, which was now filled with all of the tapes that had been condensed into creating chaos. I had my art workstation, which was in the art department, where I had all of this design and all of these graphics and all of this stuff was quote unquote mine. And then I had my promotions desk where I had all of the things that were part of uh, advertising, public relations, and promotions. And I just started trying to prioritize at each workstation how I was going to get out the door. Mm -hmm. And on the third day that I was there, George walked up and said, you know, you're making this really difficult. And I said, making this difficult? I said, no, you've made this <laughs> difficult. <laughs> You've made this very difficult for me. I'm just trying to be responsible because ultimately I was trying to leave everything that I was working on in a, in a place and in a, a stage where Todd or somebody else could come over and say, oh, look, here's these letters that are going out to these people. Here's this project. Here's the video. Here's the... And so ultimately, and, and the weird thing, of course, is that I had four deck boxes underneath my desk. And these were decks that people had given me. They were decks that were leftover sample decks. These were decks that were from the Quartermaster Cup contest series. And I just carried the decks out the door, the deck mm -hmm. boxes out the door, because I didn't know what was in them. And I didn't open those boxes for, well, that was 1993 or 1992. And I opened those boxes in 2015, 2014, when I was living in San Rafael. Wow. And that was when the shit hit the fan, because who knew about people who collected skateboard decks? Yeah. I didn't. <laughs> and then Sean Cliver put me in touch with Cliver at one point was calling me when he was doing his first book. And he said, so what decks do you have? And I said, I have no idea. Wow. Said, well, well, go look. And I said, because they were out in my garage in my home in Santa Barbara. And I said, oh, man, I'd have to move boxes. <laughs> so I didn't look. But when I moved from out of Santa Barbara, out of that house to San Rafael, I, I put those boxes. And then I called Sean and I said, OK, so I'm opening up those boxes that you wanted me to open 15 years ago. <laughs> And so when I when I started, you know, I pulled things out and uh, Sean just said, oh, my God, you need to talk to Neil Peary. You need to talk to Brian Flynn. And so that started this whole chapter. But do you not work on the next video play that's after chaos? Yes, I did. OK. okay. Yes, you're right. OK, so th oh, that's good. Now, see, that means I was there for a little bit longer. OK, you were there another that year. Was there for that's at least 93. Six more months. That's right. OK. And that's what happened after play. That's right. Okay. okay. Play, play was released with even less fanfare. And it was as if play did not exist. I think and of play as being the low point. As far as the videos, that's like yes. the low point of the whole thing. Yeah. And it was not, I don't think it was ridiculed by people. 
But I can remember there were some people at TWS was like, play? I would say that it was assembled in, I don't know. It's a short one. It's like 20 minutes long, maybe. Yeah. And, and it was really just an homage to all of the work that the salespeople were doing. And it gets down to Lisa McDermott Street. Um, she was the international salesperson. And she said, Fitz, these guys, they, you know, the international dealers, they just need anything. We just need a video. It doesn't matter what it is. And that's pretty much what it turned into. Because I think chaos was, it was important to me to create the portrait of the skaters that were busting their ass to get into the video and they were genuine and authentic in their efforts. And I think the skating and chaos is, I don't know, it's right there. It's, yeah, it's, and I, I would actually say like this, this kind of even more so than the previous two feels more kind of like a traditional Pal Peralta video, even though it was Pal Skateboards, but it, it has... It, it just has some of that character. And I think yeah. that you you being kind of in charge of it, I think is why, you know, when yeah. I, when I, when I watched it back, I'm like, this just kind of has, it has some vibe that, that lends, it just feels like maybe a band this or a propaganda in some ways, in ways that maybe hot batch or, you know, the celebrity tropical fish didn't quite capture, even though they were good. Yeah. So I think you did a good job of it. You know, it, it it feels more like what I kind of think of when I think of Pop World videos, you know? Well, it's, uh, I, you know, thank you. It's nice to hear you say that, but I, yeah. I feel, I feel the same way. I, it, I felt like we made a good video and, and play is, I didn't feel like that, <laughs> but, but I, you know, chaos. I mean, there were, there were some loose ends, you know, and, and Lance Conklin and, and, you know, the, the guys in Florida, it was, it was really, there was a struggle to pull it together because so much of that skating was trick by trick by trick by highly technical trick. And then somebody would, you know, the next day they would make a trick and, and they'd already FedEx the envelope with the high eight tape in it that had gone out the, the previous day. So it was like, oh, don't, don't do that, dude. You know, and I mean, it was it was all happening in the moment and yeah. and very intense in that regard. Well, let's pop in the tape and then we can kind of go scene by scene through this thing. So we get an opening of some wild photographs of the world in chaos. Yeah. And where where do you? I'm just curious. Where do you source that kind of? photography at that point in time you just go down to the library and get some time life magazines or where, where do yeah, you start for that kind of St thing stessic and i had exhaustively gone through stock photos uh in hollywood because there's a, there were a couple of sources for stock photos in hollywood uh the library yes and it's funny because all of that was before the internet yeah and yeah, all yeah. of that stuff is available on the internet now and, and so that's a good example of the type of uh, archival information I was trying to preserve as I went out the door. In other words, I didn't want those photographs to go away. A lot of those were 11 by 14 or 8 by 10 black and white photographs. And they were chosen for all the right reasons to, to shock and, and, you know, make a strong, I don't know, impressive historical statement to people who were watching you know, a silly little skate video. Uh, you know, this is really out of character for what you had 
would have seen in in any Paul Peralta video from five years before. So, I mean, you have like, you know, images of the Holocaust and starving children and there's other weird stuff, riot that, you know, I don't know if the the LA riots and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. And uh, you have some other weird stuff in there. There's like a Raggedy Ann and some other just total nonsense kind of weird paintings and stuff. But how was that received back then? I mean, because I, I have to think like if somebody had introduced that to George Powell in like 1988, they probably would have been fired on the spot. You know what I mean? Because I mean, I, you know what I mean? Right. No, there was, was a time when, when, when there was you know, there was, it was just obvious, like, okay, we're, we have to appeal to the kids. We have to appeal to the parents. We have to appeal to the, you know, the, the, the wholesome sort of buying public. And now you're just like, oh, we're just going to show, you know, photos of like, you know, people being executed and stuff like that. So how was that? How did that make it through the gauntlet or was there even a gauntlet then? Was Well, so, you know, you know a good comparison would be the, um, uh... The golfing scene, what was that in Bandness? Bandness, yeah. And, and, you know, so there's Dennis and I, Dennis Dragon and I doing the voiceover, you know, using our Pat Summerall voices. And, you know, here's this silly, you know, I mean, maybe it's entertaining. I don't know. And that was Stacy's idea. That wasn't my idea. And we did the best we could with it. And Lance, you know, acts like a goofball and looks like he's pregnant or, or has a big ass, I guess, you know, so... <laughs> And, and no, so there was no gauntlet. I mean, okay. George was in China mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of that calendar time. And so the, I, you know, the, and it goes back to your earlier point that if there's any authenticity there, I was the one, I was making these decisions and I just yeah. went, okay, so this is, you know, and, and chaos has always been a favorite term of mine. And so chaos theory and the chaos and the development of the universe and all of my studies about physics, I mean, chaos is a big part. Mm-hmm. And, and if I can go anecdotally to a little human interest about my own background, when I was a junior in high school, I was in a debate class and I, you know, you were given topics and this was, I believe, my memory is, is that it had to do with George Wallace running for the presidency of the United States. You know, a bona fide badge and card carrying racist mm-hmm. uh, governor of Alabama. I mean, he was, he was a badass and uh, may he rest in peace. <laughs> but, so... In my speech, I was, uh, def- I wasn't defending, I was promoting George Wallace. I was on the other side of my political belief and I was debating against a, a, a classmate, a young woman, a, a fellow junior uh, in senior high school at Santa Monica High School. And I kept, uh, I, I kept referring to the, the cheos of the political arena. And the, the chaos that was caused by uh, this and that, and the chaos that was going to be, if, if he was not elected, then the chaos would be. So at the end of our debate, my, my teacher very adroitly said, so Jim, I just have one question for you. You've used the term chaos a number of times now. Could you, could you spell that and maybe even write it on the board for us? And so I did. And he said, 
oh, okay, thank you. And then afterward, I mean, this guy was good. And I, afterward, he came up to me and he said, I just want you to know that the word is chaos. Oh, man. And I went, oh, thank you. So I was what? I graduated when I was 17. So I was 15 or 16 years old. And, and there, I learned a lot in that moment. I learned a lot about chaos. <laughs> so this video is actually called Chaos, is what you're telling us. Yeah, we've never <laughs> been saying it wrong. <laughs> yeah, so that was that was a good time. That was a good moment. And and so yeah, I you know the idea that there was no gauntlet. Nobody knew what I was doing. Stessic's probably the closest. Dennis and I, you know, talked probably. I mean, the whole production took about six weeks, I think. And Todd yeah. and I were sitting in the same room oftentimes. So he was, he, and then I would go, like I said, to my artist station or to the video uh, bay and work. And then he would help collect tape. Frankie was showing up every day with new tricks. And it was just an assemblage of, okay, so we've got time for this. We've got time for this. The uh, Cape Fear clips. You, those are officially licensed. You got permission from Mark. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, right. It was on the VHS box that we <laughs> rolled it. It said, you can use this. Whatever you want, you can use this. Yeah, I'm what? sure all, all, all the music was licensed uh, accordingly. Yeah, all of it. All yeah, of yeah, it was yeah, licensed. Yeah. Good. Just so getting why, that out of the way now. Just, you know. Why Cape anybody. Fear? Why, what is that? How does that relate to anything or just a movie you enjoyed? Well, it's not even that old at that point. It's like, you know, from the year yeah, before. A couple yeah. years before, yeah. Right, but it was a remake. Okay. And the, and the original Cape Fear was like, it was so terrifying that the De Niro version is, you know, I don't know, you can't say that it's mild, but it was just the idea of, it had to do with chaos and it had to do with uh, the upset of the order and Again, you know, I, I mean, um, a guy pulled out an AK-47. Was that today or was that yesterday? That was outside yesterday. Outside of Dallas and, yeah. and killed seven people. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the unfortunate thing is that we are, we are in a more chaotic time than even in my imagination of 30 years ago. I would say that's probably true for most people. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I, I remember, you know, reading, I think it was in Disposable about you know, Sean Cliver was talking about how, you know, graphics would take forever to come out because there would just be these endless design reviews. And Ugh. I'm sure you know way more about that than anybody else. But every um, Thursday afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. And and he and he would tell and he also talked about how when he designed the Clint Eastwood graphic for Frankie Hill, uh, George came in his office and said, are you trying to get this company sued? Or something like that, you know. He he was he. So, again, you know, you you flash forward a couple of years, and here you're just like, well, we'll just we're just going to use clips from Cape Fear and yeah, <laughs> and I'm a just... bunch of music we didn't license. And, and it's, well, again, it just in, seems like a lot that, of these. That, yeah. So in that design review, I'm standing there. You know, I'm standing next to Sean, who is, you know, he's feeling like, wait a minute, I just did a lot of work, and this is a really good graphic. And Frankie is the one who came up with this. And Frankie wants this. And I'm saying, George, what the fuck are you talking about? Nobody fucking 
cares? Do you think there's some licensing group or some PR group or studio head that's ever going to see this fucking skateboard? Stop it. And so I was stepping in between Sean and George. And, and I, I strongly believe that at the time. And I still strongly believe it that because I had done a lot of work with Jim Ganser, who developed the clothing line Jimmy's. Sometimes pronounced Jimmy Z. And Jimmy's was sponsoring Christian Hasoy, myself in surfing, uh, and others. And he had this young guy who was his designer named Johnny. Well, it might come to me. And he said, Hey, it's appropriation. And I said, Appropriation? And he said, Yeah, you're not stealing it, you're appropriating it. And I said, Thank you. So we weren't stealing anything from a movie studio. We were just appropriating a really good design. Paying homage to it. You know, George went to Stanford. He graduated from Stanford. He couldn't not acknowledge that appropriation was, was worth it. Yeah. Well, I just feel like a lot of those, a lot of those stringent policies that were sort of in place a few years prior at this point, I don't know if everybody was just beaten down by the nature of the, skateboarding world at that point and how many people had been that were there maybe at one time that weren't anymore and there was just not enough people and too much to do but you know it's interesting to see the yeah. sort of i don't know the the you know the relatively loose approach to some of that stuff that happens in these videos that would i just don't i just can't see them happening in 1989 or 1989 yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, just music with, you know, blatant swear words, you know, that's well, right. another thing that jumps out yeah. to me in this video where it's like, you wouldn't have heard that no. two, year, two years earlier. No you know? way. No, yeah. no way in hell. You would never have heard that, you know? Yeah. 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 And that's, well, that's, okay. That's, so che that, that's, that's, that's chaos for you, you yeah. know? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that is chaos. So after a little bit of Robert De Niro smoking a stogie in the movie theater, we jump into Wade Spire uh, opening his second video in a row, which is yeah. uh, really cool. And like we talked about a moment ago, he's cooking up some potatoes for George and uh, just bust into another awesome skateboard part. How did Wade end up on Powell? I thought that was an interesting move when that happened, because I think previously he well, was that on the Dogtown. Dogtown, yeah, and Jim Muir and Todd and uh, Todd Hastings and Jim Muir were, you know, good buddies, good friends. And Todd and I had talked about we knew we were losing Tony, we knew we were losing McGill, we we thought we were going to lose Cab, and we didn't. Um, you know, I mean, all of this was part of the chaos. You know, it was just, I mean, there were so many variables and so many things happening that were undetermined and at one I, I i wasn't part of the decision although i endorsed it when todd said yes i didn't really know way and i hadn't really had many uh interactions with him but i mean he he is a charming wonderful storyteller of great perception and in this sort of uh, unique personality you know he has his his father the portrait of his father is tattooed on the inside of his uh, bicep and he had a whole relationship with his father that was very dynamic um there were abandonment thoughts sort of i mean we spent a lot of we ended up going to mexico together and 
he caught the big marlin and you know we had all of these wonderful experiences together after he was part of the team but it was really todd's doing and todd's genius to be able to give him that opportunity and i think wade was you know wade was a multifaceted skater he could skate the shit out of a mini ramp mm-hmm. and he was an amazing vert skater i mean he was like what because <laughs> the the first time I saw him skate vert was on Taj Mahal in the skate zone. And he did things on the wall that were really impressive. And then it was after that that I saw him. I don't remember what vert ramp it would have been. But, and then he would see people do things on the, you know, on, on the street or natural terrain. And he'd go, oh, and then he'd do it. And I had a conversation with Mike Carroll once. And Mike said, well, I never do a trick that I know I can't make. And I said, what? He goes, no, I mean, I, I know that I'm going to make the trick that I'm going to make, that I'm going to try, because I've done all of the steps leading up to it. So if I've done a kickflip and I've done a, a, a blunt slide, and I know that I can put those two together on a curve, then I know I'm going to make the trick. And I won't try it unless I know I can make it. And I thought, my initial thing was reflecting back on weight. Wade would try and do things that he'd never tried before. He was not risk aversive. He was, he was a risk taker. And more often than not, he pulled it off. So yeah. he was really fun to spend time with and to also be shooting video with. Like Frankie. Frankie was such a joy to, to shoot video with because he was very aware of the importance and the impact of what the camera could capture. Yeah, Wade's got a padless 540 on the vert wall at the skate zone. Yeah. Super crazy. Which came out of nowhere. It was like, what? Do that again. He goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> the camera's in my office. We got to do that again. It was just like, oh my God. And it was just like an experiment. We've talked about that vert wall, you know, endlessly on this podcast through multiple episodes. And, and, I've never heard it referred to what? What did you call it? The, was it Taj Mahal? Taj Mahal. Yeah, I've heard it called that. Yeah. Have you? I don't remember yeah. ever hearing that. Interesting. Yeah, it was Taj Mahal. Okay, that's cool. When it was built, everyone figured that getting to the top of the wall would be, you know, you would get up there and maybe hang like an orangutan or something. Mm. That's what Lance did, I think, the first time. <laughs> Not surprising. There was a skater who whose name will come to me, Josh Swindell. Okay. And Josh dropped in because it took a while for the drop-in to get built to be high enough to go across the skate zone floor to be able to get to the wall because the, the drop-in was only about eight feet when it first started. And then it got up to 20 feet. And Josh Swindell went across and he went up to the top and he had a sticker and he put a sticker that was like three inches from the top of the Taj wall. Tony Hawk, the first time he came in the skate zone, dropped in, first run, went up Taj Mahal, rock and rolled the top, and came back down. Wow. And everybody was like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, no one thought you're not even going to be like, able to get there's up there. no way that the top of the wall could be, because on the other side, it was about 30 inches off the wall of the building. It, was, it, was, it wasn't attached to the wall of the building. There were studs that ran along and, and, and quote-unquote brackets, if you will, that, that attached it to the wall. So if, if one went over the wall, you'd be stuck behind this thing with, you'd die there. You'd just be dead. <laughs> 
So you'd be buried at the Taj Mahal. So, so speaking yeah, of that, was... let's speaking of that, Jim. Speaking of getting buried at the skate zone. Okay. I had yeah. another question for you. Okay. So in this video, is there 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 is the appearance of what appears to be a Paul Peralta coffin that is yeah. sitting on top of the the pyramid. Yeah, that's and I, right. And I was wondering what what was the significance of the coffin with the Paul Peralta logo all over it? Was that it was a prop that was made. We had the coffin in the golden pyramid for one of the trade show booths. Okay. Um, that was right. That might have been the first Powell Peralta trade show booth I was involved with. And Nick DiNapoli was, was a professor at Stanford and then a professor at UCSB. And, and George Powell, I believe George was in his class. I know he met Nick at Stanford. And when Mick, and Nick moved to Santa Barbara, he took over the design department. He was in charge of design. And he had worked for General Motors and some other high-end uh, companies. And he designed a lot of traveling displays. He worked on the DeLorean. He did the final illustrations on the DeLorean automobile. And he, he was an illustrator who taught me how to draw a presentation for a trade show booth, a 10 by 10, a 10 by 20, a 10 by 30. And so the he I earned, I don't know, a hundred thousand dollars designing trade show booths independently when Craig Stesick and I had a separate company, Club Atomic. And Nick was he could draw anything. He was a commercial illustrator. So he could draw a tube of toothpaste, he could draw a washer and dryer. He did an exploded view of every single part of a skateboard deck with rat nuts and bearings. Oh, I know that he, one. It's in he the, could uh... draw anything. And so the golden pyramid was Nagahide, gold Nagahide, metal flake Nagahide. Um, I know that one. I, I think yeah. I have photographs of this somewhere. It had and the it, skeleton it, inside. And right? the skeleton was in the inside the pyramid. Mm -hmm. uh, and when you walked up, there was a little viewing window, the tuck and roll pyramid of uh, square base pyramid. So there's five, there's four sides and there was a little window and a button and it, there was no words. And if you push the button, I think the casket would open and then bones, the skeleton would raise its hand and then the hand would go down, the, the coffin would close and the lights would go out. And people would like push the button again. <laughs> push the button again. So this was all engineered in, you know, by the facilities guys. And that coffin w literally floated around the company for years. And at one point, somehow, it, I don't know, somebody brought it up from storage because there was a huge basement underneath the skate zone and it ended up on top of the pyramid. I think Frankie okay. put it up there. But the bones was no longer inside. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah, I was just wondering if that was like, if that there was any story there, if it was like, you know, Paul Pearl was dead. We just put Paul's it, we dead. It. Yeah, skating. No, what's <laughs> I mean, you know all these backstories. So the backstory to that is, Stesic and I were standing, and all of the people working at Paul Peralta had their own custom-made uh, gold. Uh, it looked like a bowling team shirt. Oh, sure. So yeah. it, it had a rat bone mm -hmm. design crossbones on the back and then their name embroidered on the front and the salespeople. Oh, and then plaid. 
brown plaid pants. Nice. I think that's the outfit Ray's wearing yeah. in the yeah. greater government. Yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah. That's with that Stacy's. I think it's Stacy's shirt, right? Yeah. 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 And that's where that came from. And everybody working at the company said, we have to wear this shit. It's like, <laughs> so I can, Craig and I were standing there and, and this guy who was from a PR firm in New York and was doing a piece, an advertising firm, advertising PR piece. He was touring the trade show with one of the representatives from Action Sports Retailer who produced the trade show. And the guy came up and he said, oh my God, this is just marvelous. What, what, what are they selling? And the person said, uh, it's a skateboard company. He was like, oh my God, is this a skateboard company? Where are the skateboards? And she says, well, you know, they take a different approach. So this guy just went ballistic. And so he started, you know, and then Caroline, Caroline Wright turned and said, well, these are the guys that you need to talk to. And so she said, you know, these are the guys that are responsible for this design. So we found ourselves being interviewed by this guy from New York about where all the skateboards were in the, you know, were there skateboards in the golden pyramid? No, there was, <laughs> no. There was a skeleton. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you for the, some clarification on that. Cause you know, you never know, you never know if they, if they were just like, Oh yeah, whatever. We're taking uh we're taking all of Rocco's rhetoric to heart and we're just going to build ourselves a coffin and skate it. Well, see, that's it. That's right. One thing I wanted to talk about Wade's part, he does an ollie like off a bump over a sidewalk into the street and he almost yeah. gets hit by a yeah. Volvo. And all I could yes. think of was Stacy's Volvo that you would see in the earlier videos, like in the background of future. Right. Now that was it's like that Stacey's was real. trying to take out Wade. Yeah. No, that was real. <laughs> except the horn was added by Dennis. Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay. The, the horn wasn't real. Yeah. <laughs> and the styrofoam eyes at the end of his part, pretty funny. Yeah. I think there's there's another I don't think there's a real bail section, but he bailed out on that. There's another oh yeah, yeah second sequence mm -hmm. and it yeah. was gnarly. It looks like he rolled his, his ankle. Yeah, his his foot got rolled up inside, you know, underneath yeah. his leg and and he was, you know, it was like, ah, it was, it was one of those things. It was like, okay, I'm glad we got the first take because this, this isn't going to work. Yeah. Oh, the girls. Oh, no doubt, dude. Are you stoked on them or what, way? Yeah, they're totally staring at me. Well, yeah. The girls made that face with <laughs> I wonder why. So after Wade, we've got Bucky Lassick. Is it Lassick or Lasik? Lassick. Lassick. And the, the gravy days of hanging at Tony's look like they're over because he's hanging out back in Baltimore. Yeah. And uh, the beginning is pretty loose. It seemed like unusual, like shots of hanging out. Here's my bedroom and stuff. It's pretty, it's pretty in bridge jumping. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, because there wasn't a lot of skate content. We didn't have a lot of fucking skating. <laughs> you needed to pad the running yeah, time a little bridge bit. Bridge jumping. I mean, so that was... That was his call. That was something that he wanted in there. His car. I mean, so he, mm -hmm. he now is a race car driver and he is supported by Subaru and he he's traveling the world racing Subarus. So this is something that he and I have talked about because here in Texas, I've gone out to the rally ranch with him and he took me in his car. And, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's death defying what he does and he defies death in a car. So it, it's interesting to see how far he has progressed. And then the little guy in that sequence who was a very close friend, remains to be a very close friend of Bucky. And he was 
he was a DJ. He was a wannabe DJ, and and he has pursued that uh, forever. And Brandon Notepad. Yeah. Yeah. Really amazing. The Lansdowne footage. I was stoked to see that. I think that's the first time we see Lansdowne in a Paul Peralta video. Yes, and and what's weird is the connection there was that uh, Sherman. I think Steve Sherman shot that, and he went on that in, in that sequence. He shot a picture, a, 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 a Sherman-esque uh, black and white shot that we used in an ad uh, for the clothing company, for the Bones, uh, but it might have been called National Pastime at that That's point. That's right, mm -hmm. yeah. For the clothing company. And so that was a big thing that Julie, Mrs. Powell, the new Mrs. Powell, got that uh, photograph from Sherman. That's cool. Was that a road trip you guys were on? Did you go from Baltimore to Florida? with Lance and Bucky, because there is shots of them together. It looks like you're on a road trip somewhere. Yeah, I Coast, wasn't maybe. on that trip. Oh, okay. I, was, I was busy at the editing. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think that was Sherman. And Sherman, uh, I think Steve did that. Yeah, I think he talked about that in one of the, uh, on the Hot Batch episode. Yeah. That road trip. But man, once Bucky's vert little section kicks in, man, holy cow, this is bonker stuff so suddenly he's like you know the previous video you may have saw seeing him doing every variation of the ollie impossible now he's got the late shove it here just all over the place it's super crazy yeah, yeah. and 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 he's still doing that yeah it's like he, i mean you know he was here he was in austin a couple i think back in in february and he did a subaru dealership you know open house or something and he was so stoked he was so He's he's just really happy about the longevity and the ability to do things that he didn't know he could still do or he hasn't been doing on a regular basis. Because I think, you know, he's really skating a lot right now. He's and he got back into it because of the the vert events that Tony was sponsoring before he got hurt and before he had to take more time off to heal his leg, etc. And um, he's been skating a lot at Tony's ramp in Encinitas. So he's been skating with Cab and McGill and other people. So, yeah. And he's back on Powell. Yeah. yeah for the last he's few fresh. Years. Yeah. yeah. And then he's got the bungee jumping at the end. So he's like a total daredevil guy. Thrill seeker. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the, the uh, skate, you know, the in the fountains contest in San Francisco. And I can, I was standing there with Bucky and I said, so do you want to go bungee jump? And he goes, yeah, probably. And I went, really? And he said, yeah, I think so. So it took so, I had the camera with me. It took so long to climb up there. It was gnarly. And uh -huh. I, I mean, you know, I, I guess I was 40 years old or something when I was standing up there and I just sat there. I mean, you look down and it's like, wait a minute, there's no area to land if, if the rubber band doesn't stop you, you're just, you're just part of the asphalt. Yeah. And he, <laughs> you know, he just took a breath and went. Yeah. He must've been doing something wrong. Cause you can hear like the attendant is like yelling, let go, let go. Like he yeah. has to so grab the cord the, or something. Yeah. yeah. He was, and, and that didn't allow it to extend fully. So he was still very high off the ground. Mm -hmm. And then I, I think, in actually in looking at the video again i think the guy's concern was that he could have swung around and hit the scaffolding or, or uh, hit the actual yeah. apparatus yeah so jim was, did it ever did it ever cross your mind at any point that 30 plus years later 
some of these guys would still be skating and doing anything like this. Did it, did it ever, well, did it ever occur to you like the longevity that skateboarding has had, you know, you're seeing guys like Bucky Lassick that are still just completely ripping. Like they haven't missed a beat. You know, you're seeing guys, we've talked about this a little bit, like guys like Tony Alva, guys like Caballero and Lance, and those guys are still ripping. Like, did you like, and you're, you know, you're, you know, you've been, you've been through it all. You've seen it all from the very beginning almost. And it's like, did you ever think that like these guys would still be, if you know, two year, 2023, we'd still be talking about Lance mountain, you know, Steve Caballero, Bucky elastic, all these dudes from this time that you were with Powell and that, you know, that ended in 1930 years ago, right? 1993, 94. Yeah. Yeah. Did, Did you ever, did you ever foresee or did, can you, what is your take on like the fact that these guys are still going? How, how like, how do you feel? Well, that's, I think that's a really interesting question because it, it brings into play so many elements. I mean, yeah. skateboarding is so ubiquitous right now. It, it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, and here, my initial thought as I reflect on this is that Mike McGill was a consummate professional skateboarder when he was, let's say, 20 years old maybe when he was 15 years old. I mean, when I met Mike in, and basically we really got to know each other when we were on the road and on, on the Bones Brigade summer tour in 88. I mean, he, he knew what his job was and he knew how he was gonna make money. He was gonna go out and impress people with his ability and he did it. And he didn't go too far and he didn't go too extreme. He just did his job. And his job was to excite people and be nice and friendly. And it wasn't a stretch for him because he was a fantastic skateboarder and he was a nice person and he was friendly. I just, you know, Sean Sheffy and I have reconnected on through social media. I mean, Sean Sheffy is a brilliant guy and he was burly and he scared the shit out of young kids of course, because yeah. he was so gnarly. Yeah, definitely. But he learned, it was like, okay, that's a character that he can play. And then he can step out of that character and be kind and loving to people too. Who's going to buy your boards? So, you know, <laughs> I think it's, you know, there's this business aspect of skateboarding that became, you know, it was the trend. I mean, when I was a professional skateboarder in 1963, there were zero dollars involved. And the big thing that happened for me is they sent me to Europe to with a you know with 12 Makaha skateboards. Okay. And they paid for my air transportation and I paid for my ground travel and staying in uh, you know bed and breakfasts. I think that you know by the late 80s, a cycle had happened with with Stacy and the other and Tony Alva and those and Jay Adams that they had poked into the realm of oh my God, this is, I'm getting paid money to do this. Look, there's a lot. I mean, look at the cycles that Tony Alva has gone through. And he's still, I mean, people are astonished when he goes into a pool because he rips today. I mean, yesterday he was ripping. So not only does he rip, but he goes in there and drains the thing. Yes. You know, he's still doing like the grunt work. That's right. That's right. And, you know, so Cab, I mean, Cab's been a professional skateboarder I mean, for 40 years. Um, and I, you know, I, I look around and I, you know, it was recognizable. I mean, Tony, Tony Hawk was as determined as 
any professional person I've ever seen, whether it's finance or insurance or whatever it is. I mean, there was no stopping that guy. And, and so you, you end up with a, a video that documents his travail and it's until the wheels fall off. He's still not stopping. Mm -hmm. Tommy Guerrero has taken that same energy. And when I asked him, I said, so, because he had just come back from Japan. This was at a performance in Santa Barbara about four or five years ago. And I said, so are there people in the audience when you're performing music that relate to you as a skateboarder? And he says, less and less. I said, so your music has, has replaced that in terms of identification with an audience and people paying to see you play. And he goes, yeah, more, more or less, yeah. And, you know, Ray Barbie can still skateboard. Ray Barbie can still hop up and he can still, you know, he can still, you know, no comply and shove it and different things. He's still there, but he is much more today a photographer and an artist and a writer and a poet and a musician than he is a skateboarder. And, and so that, that thing about, oh, you know, talking to young groups and young people and saying, oh, just find your passion and follow your passion. <laughs> I'm sorry, that I don't take that. As being an educator for 40 years, you've got to have some skills. You've got to have skills either as a skateboarder, as a musician, you've, there's some basic skills that you, I mean, I want to play the guitar so bad, and I've taken lessons for years and years and years. And I can look at these two hands and think there's something wrong with my brain. It does not connect with my hands. I can't play the piano. I can't play. And, and this girl told me last year, she said, well, why don't you like play the saxophone? And I said, I, I don't know. Nobody's ever suggested that as a possibility. She goes, you just push on the thing and then it blows the note. <laughs> oh my God, okay. So, you know, I, it's just, you know, a short squat person through DNA and genes is probably not going to be a ballerina, but there's a lot of work in the ballet world that can be absorbed by a talented person who knows set design or, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I think it's an important question, Matt. And I think 30 years later, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing that, and then of course you look at individual people, you know, I mean, Tony Alba went, let's say he had an experimental period, you know, he experimented with a lot of behaviors and he has calmed down. He's much more internalized now. He does amazing experiences uh, at the Indian reservations in Arizona and New Mexico. You know, he's, he, um, he's so generous with his time and his insights and the ideas that he's developed through being able to focus on skateboarding and, and the art and the business of skateboarding. You know, he's a very sophisticated thinker. Yeah. Um, so it's, I am so glad that I got, reinvolved with skateboarding in 87 by going to the Savannah Slamma because it reintroduced me not just to the activity but I became partners collaborators and friends with some of the most creative and bona fide intelligent and perceptive people uh, that I've ever known and, and and certainly if I compare those friendships and relationships to the people I've met through education and 40 seven years in working with educators, um, it's neck and neck in terms of 
productivity and perception and ability you know it's- yeah i don't know just for me it it, it continues to blow my mind because i you know again like i was i was there for the band this premiere and i remember seeing you know buck like bucky in public domain and and you're and you're watching this dude now and it just it just it blows my mind that he's he's still just killing it and 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 like who who what professional baseball player that was around in 1989 is still out there playing baseball? None of them. What, you know what I mean? What professional hockey player is still out there? I mean, maybe they're skating around and shooting the puck with their grandkids or whatever, but like these dudes are still pros. Yeah. At an with, elite level. At an elite level, 30 and counting years later. To, yeah. Like to me, that's just unbelievable. In a, in a, in a field, I don't know if you want to call it a sport, an activity, whatever you want to call skateboarding, but in a field that is not, it's not like it's a kind to your body sort of thing. Like these dudes are falling and slamming and getting things broken off and they're still right. just getting out there and doing it. So right. I, 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 to me, I marvel at it routinely where I'm just like, how far can these guys all push it? Like, can yeah. you do it until you die? Like, do you, can you skate up until you're an old man, until you're like in you should be in a nursing home, but you're out there draining pools. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I, I just could not have conceptualized this when I was a kid. There's no way you could have ever convinced me that in the year 2023, every single guy from the classic bones brigade lineup would still be skateboarding. Yeah. I, and some of them still professionally, some of them, one of them still on Paul Peralta. <laughs> yeah. 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 Amazing. Anyway. Yeah. And it's, I think it's a testament in a way to um, the orientation that they received from Stacy. I mean, Stacy was, you know, he laid it out. I mean, he, he had a great experience, Jim Kempin and other people that were working with Stacy when he was young and he goes to Venezuela on the Pepsi tour. And, you know, he, Stacy had experiences that were foundational and gave him a base of operation that, you know, was blended with the excitement of the sport, the adoration of people who didn't even know what they were seeing. And then every single business aspect, it's like, okay, so how do you develop this product? And how is that product introduced? And what, why, why will, in the marketplace, how will customers buy that product rather than somebody else's product? And, and you just go on and on. And I think Stacy had a really strong orientation with each individual skater. I know he did that with Rodney. I know he did it with Tommy. I think that's, and you know, I, I know that's where, I think Jim Thebo missed out on that. Jim Thebo didn't get that same, you know, he was a little bit older when he came to the team as an amateur. And he never made that transition with Stacy into the professional ranks because the rest of the team had already progressed to the point where Jim was matching up with them at that level, but he didn't have the four or five years of, of, of communal experience that everybody else on the team had. You know, you know, it's funny because I can remember when we were talking with Mike uh, last, last year when we were videotaping him, he said, I can, you know, I can remember, I can count on my one hand the number of times I actually talked to George Powell. I mean, Mike so if you, if you if you yeah if you go back to the gauntlet you know there the gauntlet that includes George Powell did he he knew enough to stay away from this the Bones Brigade 
as it developed. That was Stacy's thing. That was Stacy's, and it was clear cut. Stacy knew that. And he didn't have to say, hey, leave my guys alone. It was clear. And then as everybody started to mature and things got bigger and Stacy couldn't manage everything, suddenly idiots like me show up and start augmenting the experience, you know, and, you know, we were there in Florida and Mike said, Jim, I am so glad you're here. And I said, well, thanks, Mike. And he goes, I, I mean, I didn't want to do this, but I'll do it with you. And I just thought, okay, awesome. well, there we go. That's the beginning of a great friendship. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> uh, All right, Bucky Lassick, there you go. Yeah, one yeah. thing. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing I'm noticing here is the way the parts are transitioning from skater to skater. Like you'll take, you know, the one guy that's going to the next, there's like a shared experience. So Bucky yeah. and Lance Conklin are bungee jumping. And then, you know, there's other examples later on. Was that something you came up? I thought that was a pretty clever way to kind of like introduce like what was happening next in the video. I, I think that's the, the genius of Jim Fitzpatrick. <laughs> Which one, the artist? Yeah. <laughs> Or the chaos, no, the, the, the chaos figure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, it just seemed like a natural thing. It didn't, you know, there was no great mystery, but um, yeah, but that's, that was a choice. Very cool. So we've got Lance Conklin comes in next and it looks like he's, this is maybe all shot in Florida. It's kind of a shorter part, but I really yeah. liked it a lot. Yeah. Uh, we're starting to see some ledge dancing, you know, like crooked grind, no slide back to a crooked grind that kind of stuff is yeah. starting to get uh, prominent. Yeah, and I, you know, I just, I, I just think I look at, you know, skate footage from today and, you know, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing how, not advanced, but how it was, you know, it's apropos, you know, everything that Lance was doing as a skater. And, you know, and it goes back to Fraser on the, on the vert ramps, you know, all of these, you know, I don't know. There was all of this stuff happening in Florida that was not necessarily acknowledged. And I think we always tried to incorporate them in the other videos too. I look at that sequence with Lance and I, you know, it's solid. And I, is that the timeline when we went to Mexico? Is that, yeah, because there's Mexico footage in there. Okay. It's kind of crumbly plaza. Uh, Wade is, I think he does a grind on like a, a, a little ledge in there. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. Does yeah. too, and that was yeah. in uh, Zuwatnail. Yeah, Wade has like he does a front side half cab heel flip down like some stairs, and all the kids are like all around him. Yeah, yes, yes, yeah. And that was our famous trip to Mexico when the woman cut her finger off, and we were having a, at a cantina on the beach. And what? Yeah, so we were sitting in these folding chairs. Oh, you told and George me Powell was with yeah. us. Yeah, and George, this was the whole. This was the new Bones Brigade. This was the initiation of the new Bones Brigade. So Bucky was there and Wade was there and Frankie was there, Lance was there. And this was the, we're leaving uh, royalties behind and you're not going to get paid by your board sales. You're going to get paid a salary and you're going to have medical benefits and you're going to be an employee of the new Powell Corporation. This was the business meeting that was going to take place down there in Mexico. And Good God Almighty! And I did I did I share that with you, Larry, when you yeah, were here? Yeah, yeah. So Matt, you know, so we're we go to this cantina. It's on the beach, and uh, uh, apparently during the summer, 
this place just goes off with a left wave that goes way up the beach. But we were there in January or February and everything was closed. And yada 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 we find this place we're at a cantina there's palapas and we're sitting in the shade underneath the palm and there's little chairs these folding chairs and all of a sudden we hear this blood curdling scream just this death defying scream and it's like oh my god what has happened and i look up and this woman has stood up she's like a table away from us and she brings her hand up to her face and blood is pumping out oh, of her. It's man. just like boosha, boosha. Oh. It's a it's a fountain. And I and I say to myself, oh my God. <laughs> so we have no idea what's happening. So I grab a napkin from the table and I grab her and I grab her hand and I and I'm putting direct pressure on her hand. And her husband is looking at me like he doesn't understand what's happened. And so the, the bracket, so the, 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 uh, the fulcrum of the legs formed an X and on the back the folding, of the, the folding chair's table. legs, yeah, folding chair. there was a metal stud that stuck out on each side. And so as you opened up the chair, it stopped the chair from continuing to fold. So what she had done is she had kind of hopped up in the air to move her chair out of the sand and she put her hand on the leg of the chair and then when she sat down, her finger was between the chair and the and the stud and it just cut it right off so todd hastings goes oh there's her finger (laughs) no way oh Oh. my god so lance conklin is like fuck he's just he's freaking out out." (laughs) and i finally get the guy from the restaurant and a yellow 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 and ice and ice and so he shows up in his in this like 53 rusty Chevy pickup uh-huh. and we shove the husband and the woman and the bloody napkin and the finger into the truck and off they go. Oh man. Wow. <laughs> and who knows? <laughs> Hopefully she was <laughs> able to get it reattached. Yeah, I mean, did it get reattached? It's like, oh my God. Yeah, wow. So you're, yeah. So that's one of those things, right? That's why you go on tours because you get outside your comfort zone and you have these experiences that nobody can anticipate. So this meeting was uh, was was to inform the team that you know board royalties were done. You're just going to yeah. be on a straight salary, yep. and so and that and that did that meeting. Was that received in, well? Yeah. So we ended up at some club. So the whole resort. This is where the movie Ten was filmed with Bo Derek, mm-hmm. and the whole sure. the, the whole uh, resort was closed. But there was one nightclub open in town. So of course, you know, Lance Conklin wanted everybody wanted to go to the club. And so at the club, there were uh, there weren't dancers per se that were employees. There were just couples. And there was one very buxom woman who was somewhat attractive, a local lady, if you, if you will. And so she started raising up her skirt. And then she had on one of those uh, tops that had elastic that went over her shoulders. And it was a sort of top, if you, if you tugged on your, the sleeves, you could just pull it all the way down over her, through, across her anatomy, if you will. And so she was pulling her top down and then taking it back up so she could do that with her shoulders. Yeah, something like that. So there was 
Abaja, Abaja was lower, Arriba, Arriba was higher. And so there was a lot of tequila involved. There was a lot of alcohol involved and very little food. And that was our meeting. Because okay. like the, that was when we were supposed to be having this very serious business talk. So and George then, was there for this? For this? Yes, George was wow. there. So, but it was very entertaining. And, and I think I've been known to do this on several occasions, but I, I did end up on the dance floor just because, you know, that's the sort of idiot I am. But um, the next day we went, oh, and Mark Hunt was there, the guy who, was, who produced Skate TV. Skate TV. And Mark was supposed to be uh, videotaping and chronicling the whole thing. And we ended up at Playa de Oro, this uh, famous beach there, Gold Beach. And uh, that was the land of 10 million geckos. So we had two rental cars. I, one I put Bucky in charge of, which was bad for Mr. Avis. And I drove the other one and we had surf racks. And we pulled off the road, dirt road down to the beach about a mile long very swervy, lots of turns. And in the sunlight were 10,000 geckos. And you could pay, I don't know, I don't know how much does a gecko cost in a, in a pet store, probably, let's say $25. We ran over $100,000 worth of geckos. Oh we gosh. started out, there was like one gecko, so we swerved. And then there were three geckos and we swerved and then we heard like this popping noise. And then there were 50 geckos and it was like, and then we got to the point where you couldn't see the road because it was bright green. It was just geckos. And Bucky oh says, oh, well, <laughs> <That's> just... <laughs> I'm going to have dreams tonight. <laughs> oh, my God. It was just, it was, yeah. So then the other great thing was coconut palms. So we saw a coconut palm orchard that was, went from the beach, was probably a half a mile wide, and it went as far as your eye could see. So if you have any interest in how, where the coconut milk and the coconut industry came from, it's probably off that section of, uh, of Playa de Oro in Mexico. Incredible experience. Amazing. Hi, Jim, I know you got to go, but we'll conclude with the way it transitioned. So we've got Lance driving with Bucky and he kind of mentions like, oh, are we the new brigade? What's like, what's our status here. And then he yeah. talks about what, what happened to the old, old brigade, like cab. And this is the transition into Steve Caballero, which we will pick up in part two. We know you got to go. We thank you so much. Amazing stories. I love it, dude. <laughs> yeah. We were literally Larry and I were literally going like, is this going to be a multi-part episode? And I'm like, there's no way it's like a 40 minute video. And then yeah. I'm like, but it's Jim. It's Jim. Yeah. <laughs> so here we are. I, I think we'll bang it out. And I see. love I it. Think dude. No, be, this yeah. is great. Yeah. Dude, this is cool. the kind of shit that people eat up. I mean, yeah. like oh, this good. is the kind of stuff that like we, we love to talk about and yeah. people love to well, listen to. So. See, it all comes back to Cheos. Chaos, right. dude. That's organized, right. organized Cheos. All right. So we'll get in touch with each other about our next, our next session. Definitely. Yep, for sure. All right. Thanks, Larry. All right. Thanks, Thank Pat. you, Jim. Thanks, Jim. All, All right, bye. we'll talk to you soon. So, man, there we go. Jim Fitzpatrick. That was above and beyond. I could I could just never know what to expect. You know, I'll tell you, man, I really did not expect chaos to become a multi-part episode. <laughs> I didn't we, think we'd have one of those we, ever again. We got Jim Fitzpatrick on and the conversations start flowing and and then we get we get 
through two parts and then <laughs> yeah we can get a little sidetracked here and there but that's okay it's that's all, okay dude. It's that's why good. we have yeah. that's why we have jim on that's yeah. why we have him on well jim thank you congratulations again we have hall a hall of, fame. of famer yeah. on the show jim is our has joined uh steve on our four time yes he is now a four timer yeah and he's gonna be a five timer so yeah because he'll be back be next our, episode first five timer first five timer award what is that you get a jacket you get a jacket we're gonna make a we're gonna make some jackets i'm gonna go down to the goodwill yeah i'm gonna get a jacket and i'm gonna get it embroidered the five timer club yes dude perfect perfect all right well is it time you know what happens at this point of the show and now the bones brigade audio show mailbag yeah we got emails got emails Let's dive right into it. Let's go for and, it. And let's keep it on, on topic here. Our first bit of correspondence comes from a guy by the name of Robert. Robert who? Robert, I don't know. Kittle. Robert oh, okay. Kittle. Oh, I just, did I, did I spoil it? No, I mean, I, yeah. we we're going to get to it in a minute. Yeah, yeah. Robert Kittle wrote in and uh, he said, hey guys, Jim Fitzpatrick turned me on to your podcast. Great work. I've been listening for some days now. I worked side by side with Stacy for four years, shooting, editing, doing sound effects, and even music. I shot the Frankie Hill segments and banned this and propaganda. Amazing. I, ha I have stories and insights that you might enjoy. Would love to contribute if you have any interest. Thanks, Robert. And yes, we have interest. Yeah, big time. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah, uh, super. I mean, we're going to get to Robert. Uh, eventually, you know, I did plan on reaching out, but he got to us first, which is awesome. There's been a Amazing. few other people that have done that, like Peter McEwen and uh, another gentleman that I'm still, I won't mention that uh, has come forth that we're still going to have on at some point. But, uh, and actually Robert just called me a moment or two ago while we've been recording the show. So I've been going back and forth with him about having him on the show Amazing. and, and we will get down and dirty talking about these Powell Peralta videos with him. So he shot good. the Frankie Hill segment for Ban This. I mean, that is like holy ground, you know? Yeah. So we're going to get a lot of answers. Remember, Pulio was confused. Like, how did they get the camera on that POV board oh, yeah. shot? Yeah. And I was just yeah. like, I think they just held the board with the camera on it. Yeah, put some Frankie. shoes on yeah, it. Yeah, put a shoe yeah. on it. Yeah. So we'll get, we'll find out all about that. Yeah. 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 It's going to be good. Amazing. So, we'll have, dude. Yeah. so thank you, Robert. We'll Absolutely. have you on very soon. All right. We have David R. And he writes, Hi, Larry and Matt. Greetings from Belfast and congratulations on another great episode of your show. Wow, I really Belfast. enjoyed Belfast. I really enjoyed listening to the discussion with Steve Sherman and of course rewatching the actual video on beforehand as prep. So that's pretty awesome. Thank you. Uh, engaging skate video nerd mode. I noticed Eric Ricks has uploaded an original edit of his hot batch part to YouTube, which uses a different Cypress Hill tune than the version in the final cut. Interestingly, there are also snippets of scantily clad girls at the top and tail of the original edit, which makes me wonder if there was an original cut of the whole video, which was a little more in tune with the racy box art and title. Maybe Steve or Eric himself can shed some light on that for us. Anyway, keep up the good work. And never stop searching for Chin right now. Cheers, David. Nice. Little Johnny Red uh, reference there at the end. 
Much yeah. Appreciated. Yeah. That's super cool. Yeah. I was aware that Eric had his skate parts on YouTube. I've come across them before, but mm-hmm. I don't know if I paid that much attention that there was kind of differences. So this email kind of like piqued my curiosity and yeah. I went and I was like, wow, that is definitely a song, different song. And uh, the dancing girls there. So I hit up Eric uh, on Instagram and uh, if he could shed some light on this. And uh, here's what he said. I do believe the girls were sprinkled throughout the whole video, but that was eventually scaled back. And I also asked him why the song switch. Uh, And he says, I think Jim Fitzpatrick edited it. Uh, he knew I was going to use Cypress Hill. He didn't know what song, so he picked the original. I didn't know he had already picked the song before I choose How You Can Kill a Man. Yeah, everything is the same song, just different. And uh, Jim picked the song while I was uh, in Oregon with uh, Pat Brennan at the Dowell Skate Camp for a week. He couldn't get a hold of me to find out what song I wanted to use. He had to wait for me uh, for a week to get back, but... I got chicken pox and I was out for about a week. So he was waiting two weeks for me to get back and finally find out what song I wanted to use. So there's a quick little explanation from Eric. There you go. Uh, on his kind of rough cut of, no. of hot batch. All right. Well, there you go, David. Hopefully that clears it up. So we got Spod and he writes in Dude, regards- I love Spod, dude. He's yeah. written in before. Yeah, he's yeah. from uh, New Zealand. Oh, all right. Cool, man. Got got Belfast Belfast. and New Zealand. New Zealand. Yeah. So Spod, he writes, in regards to Hot Batch, cab peeking in a video no one saw. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. We're talking about some rare videos. I think, uh, you know, the skate video market was dominated by other companies at this time. And I don't think many people were highly seeking out the the output here at this point. Although I will tell you that that cab has a strong part in the video that we're talking about very strong right now. Yep. And we will get to that part next episode, beginning of the next episode. So stay tuned. Thank you. Spod. So Natalie a writes the second video tunes episode is great. I figured y'all would have had this one, but maybe I missed it in the first episode. One of the later Tony Hawk parts is, and we're going to withhold this one for a future video tunes. Episode. Oh, another cover song. Give Another a cover song. Yeah. Boop. We're going to bleep that out. <laughs> also, according to one of the documentaries I've watched, The Cure, although definitely goth slash post-punk, is considered one of the godfathers of shoegaze. The first album, at least, is considered a shoegaze masterpiece up there with that My Bloody Valentine album. Oh, there you go. Yep. Most of these bands are definitely groups I know Tony Hawk was into. Dead Can Dance is a 4AD band, which is a label. A lot of shoegaze and shoegaze adjacent bands were on. So cool. Thanks, Natalie. Appreciate the uh, the feedback. Yeah, that's great info. Definitely. And we will, you know, we'll get to that one. Yeah, we'll compile your uh, yeah. Yeah. Your we, song for the, yeah, the for next sure. for volume three. So thank you. And then we have our last. Our last bit of correspondence for the day, we have Steve R. And he writes, hi, guys. Love the Video Tunes Volume 2 episode. I, like you guys, am totally blown away by the discovery that these songs are cover songs. Anyways, what is the song you played at the beginning and end of that episode? I recognize it, but can't quite place it. Can you help me out? Thanks, Steve. Yes, I definitely can. It's uh, Harry Bluestone and Emil Kadkin. And this is the song you hear in the Lance O 
Neil Blender part in Band This, mm -hmm. like in the beginning when Lance goes off the roof and when they're painting Neil Blender's ramp and stuff, that's where that song is from. Yep. And that's also the same gentleman who does the, you know, it's been recycled in a few videos. I always kind of think of it as the Savannah Slamma intro kind of music. Right. We played here on the, I think we played that at the beginning and end of the first skate video tunes episode as well. So yep. just some fun, rare tunes from the Powell videos. There you go. And that's the mailbag. We're going to call that one. Awesome. If you'd like to be like these awesome people and send us an email, which we hope you would do that. Uh, you can do so by going to our website at the bones brigade audio show.com. Click on the contact page and you can just type in your message, hit enter, and we will get it instantly. Or you can DM us on Instagram, all kind, whatever, whatever channel we're on, you can just reach out through there and yep. we'll, we'll get it just fine. So we hope to hear from you soon. Let us know. Everyone go watch chaos. Go watch and, chaos. Yeah. And, and let us know what you think. Chaos. Chaos. Yeah. Yeah. Chiodos. Chaos. I don't know. <laughs> Dude, I just, that I got in a weird mood. I can't, my brain is just kind of melted right now. Just from. I know man. Stories. I'm having a ah, hard time concentrating. I love it, dude. Yeah. I love, I love Jim. Best dude ever. Yeah. He's great so many great stories and amazing tidbits and uh we could talk to that guy all day and we probably would have thankfully he was on a little bit of a time restriction today so we yep. we were able to keep it reasonable in terms of uh episode length yeah for sure i was worried we we're gonna have a four hour episode yeah. here but i'm yeah, down for i'm down for a part two it's gonna be fun yep, i love it for sure so all right, so watch Chaos, send us an email, let us know what you think about it. And then uh, other than Matt, Matt, you ready to shut it down? I'm ready. Let's, let's get out of here, man. All right, we'll be back soon with another episode. But until then, I'm Larry. I'm Matt. Reminding you to never stop searching for Chin. Have a great night.
Yay. Yay. <laughs> oh, shit. I wasn't recording. Yeah, you were. I know. I'm just kidding. 